Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink Heist. Um, Shane couldn't make it uh, this evening, but he'll uh, be back with us next week. And tonight, I'm happy to welcome author Wesley Southard to the show, the author of Cruel Summer, The Betrayed, One for the Road, Closing Costs, and so much more. And um, Wesley, welcome to the show. And how are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Rich. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime. I was super, uh, super excited to have you on. Um, really dug uh, Cruel Summer. Oh, but thanks, um, yeah, before we get started, um, we usually ask our uh, first time guests to kind of give a uh, new kid at school speech, so to speak. So just a little bit about, you know, your background, your writing and, you know, anything else you'd like uh, new readers to know. Yeah, uh, well, like you said, uh, my name is Wesley Southard. I am the Splatterpunk award-winning author of all those books and a few more that you mentioned. Uh, I live in south-central Pennsylvania for the last four years, but I'm originally from southwestern Indiana. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I just, just, uh, just a horror author, man. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get you. It's funny because, like, um, we asked this. About everybody and like i realize because even as the host of the show or one of the hosts you know i get nervous when we uh do these so i can only imagine you know when you're like put on the spot like that i always did that with those uh with those kind of speeches where they're like yeah at the beginning of the school year you know say your name and one fun fact and i'm like what the hell is fun about me like (laughs) (laughs) my name is wes and i like string cheese (laughs) yeah that's that seems like it'd be kind of similar to uh one that i would have (laughs) i mean it's true though i do (laughs) yeah well who doesn't like string cheese (laughs) my lunchbox (laughs) um but yeah you you had mentioned that um you know you're you're a splatterpunk award-winning author and i know i believe you had won that uh just last year for uh one for the road right yep yep uh one for yeah best novella at the uh, killer con splatterpunk awards last year yeah so um you know because i i think that's like a rel that's like a relatively newer award i think but um it's one that like a lot of horror fans are really excited about you know both readers and um authors and i was just wondering you know what was it like for you you know that whole process from when you like found out you were nominated to actually uh winning um yeah it is it is a very new award um so last year was year three i believe and this year will be year four um yeah, it's it was it was nerve wracking just every just leading up to it. I mean, I was extremely excited to have both my collection, Resisting Madness, and One for the Road up for best collection and best novella. And then that whole day leading up to those awards, um, unfortunately, we couldn't be there in person at KillerCon like I was the year before, um, which would have been really cool if if we were there, but. Uh, yeah, it was that whole day. I was just a nervous wreck. I was just pacing around the house. I didn't know what to do with myself. I just, I, I, I had to distract myself. And finally, I sat down and, and I wrote out a couple of like uh, acceptance speeches if I did win. And uh, I remember sitting here at my computer, like I am right now, watching the awards online. And I lost uh, Best Collection. And I really, really wanted to win that one. And I just remember just dropping my head and I reached up 
to my printer where, where I had my two uh, uh, acceptance speeches and I crumpled up that one and I without even looking, I just tossed it across the room into my trash can and I was like, well, didn't win that one. I'm definitely not winning fucking uh, Novello because I mean, <laughs> I was up against some pretty stiff competition. I mean, I, I had a, I, I know who I thought would win. But I mean, I was mm-hmm. up against Edward Lee. I was up against uh, 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 my my really good buddy and now co-writer uh, Lucas Mangum. I was like, I'm not winning that one. There's no fucking way. And and then when I did, I just I I, I just started crying because I was like, I can't fucking believe it. Like this is this is crazy because I, I I'm 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 really really happy that these awards exist because I mean I hate to sound like this, but like like people that do write like the darker, more extreme stuff and, and not saying that that's all I write, but I, I do enjoy writing that. Um, mm. I feel like we get kind of ignored by the stokers. And, and of course, like we're not what the Shirley Jackson awards are looking, are, are looking for. So we don't really had we never really had that, uh, that representation award wise. So for, for Brian Keene and, and Rath James White to be able to create these awards for us uh, and have us be acknowledged for the for the hard work and dedication we do have to that type of subgenre of horror is just kind of a blessing. And and to be able to say that I won one of those is, is really, really special, and I'm, I'm really stoked about it. And I'm up again this year for uh, Best Short Story, and I'm just – I'm excited. I have no idea if I'll win it or not. I, I don't know. The competition's again, stiff, so – We'll see, but uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to have won that. It's 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 nice to be able to kind of put that award thing right by your name, you know, in your bios. It, it's neat. Yeah. It's something it's something I've seen for years and years and years, and now that you're able, now that I'm able to kind of do that, it's it's really cool. And I'm just hoping that like the rest of the genre kind of starts to see these awards as equals. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be able to touch the the, the Stokers or the Shirley Jacksons, but I, I, I'm hoping that the rest of the of the horror genre can start seeing these awards as something very viable and something that can be celebrated just as big as as the Stokers or the Shirley Jacksons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, real quick before I uh, kind of comment on that, like I, when you were starting to tell your story about the uh, acceptance speeches, I was waiting yeah. for you to say that like the one that you actually won that you had thrown that one like in the oh, trash. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> no, I had By I accident. had it. I had yeah, I had the 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 first cuz they, they read it in a certain order and I already knew what the order was going to be, so I had my mm-hmm. I had the short story one or the short story collection one sitting on top of the other one. So yeah, that would have been goofy gotcha. if I did that. <laughs> yeah. But um as far as like those awards, you know, yeah, I I you know personally, I I think people do because, you know, I do. And, um, you know, like you said, it is kind of cool to have those for, you know, some of the more extreme stuff to, you know, yeah. kind of um, recognized because, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of people love that stuff. But like you had said, like, I feel like sometimes if people aren't really familiar, you know, with that particular subgenre of horror, you know, they may or may not, you know, have kind of like preconceived notions about, you know, what that style is. Right, right. And and there's and there's a lot of that. There's a lot of extreme and splatter stuff out there that 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 is just that. It's it's kind of I mean, I hate to say it sound like a dickhead about it, but it, it's very 
it's not character driven. It's just like, okay, here's the next, here's the next gore scene. Now here's the next gore scene. Now here's the next gore scene. And, and, and the, mm-hmm. the, the stuff that really shines in that subgenre are the character pieces. I mean, you look at, look at a book like full brutal by Chris Triana. Yes. That book is by the title full brutal. It is a brutal, horrifying novel, but it, it is a character piece about a character, about a woman, a young woman just going into madness and and just feeding into her own madness and not just not resisting it at all just just going full force with it and and you see her just downward spiral into into this uh into this personality that she creates for herself and and I think that's that's the best kind of stuff uh the best kind of stuff that the genre has to offer are these are these character driven um kind of extreme pieces and and that's that's the kind of stuff that I really enjoy in that subgenre Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, that that's kind of the same way I'm with it. Um, you know, like, um, for instance, like it has a very, uh, has a very infamous reputation, but, um, like I haven't read very much extreme horror to be honest, but one that I did take a chance on and, uh, really enjoyed was, uh, JF Gonzalez's, uh, survivor. Oh, that was yeah. like, oh, that yeah. was like one of the early ones. And, yeah. you know, for the infamous reputation it has, and, you know, I understand that, you know, it's not for everyone, um, you know, like, it has a lot of that, like, really rough stuff in it, but like yeah. you had said, at its heart, it's also a very well-done story. Oh, yeah. Gonzalez is one of the biggest reasons why I write it all. I, I've always said that my big three that made me want to be a writer are Brian Keene, J.F. Gonzalez, and Tim Levin, and I was lucky enough to meet I mean, obviously, I'm very, very good friends with Keen. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I've met Tim once. I, I got to talk to Tim actually several months ago when my wife was still doing her podcast. Um, I got to talk to him a little bit while behind the scenes, and and um, and I met him like ten years ago as well. Uh, super nice guy. I love the guy. Um, and then I got to meet Jesus uh, about ten or twelve years ago, a couple of times too. And I've been very fortunate to tell all three of those guys, you know what their stuff meant to me and, and, and that they're the reason why I do what I do. So yeah, Gonzalez, Gonzalez's stuff is phenomenal. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my shelves right now. I've got, I think every book that he ever put out minus a couple that are just wildly out of print that I think Keen is actually helping putting back into print. So that's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'd heard about that. I have a couple more of, uh, I have a couple of his too, that I've been meaning to get to, uh, for some time, but, um, I, I would recommend if you haven't read his book, um, The Corporation. The Corporation is mm-hmm. fantastic, and it's one of his lesser talked about ones for some reason. And I didn't realize it until much later on that that was that was kind of his Bentley Little pastiche. And now that I know that, it fits so well. It's it's a mm-hmm. it's a brilliant novel, but yeah, yeah. Gonzalez Gonzalez mean Gonzalez's work always always meant a lot to me, and and also I mean I know this I know Keen's talked about it before in public a few times, but uh, uh, Keen and uh, the Gonzalez family, Kathy his wife, have mm-hmm. actually asked me to write a sequel to his novel uh, Primitive. Oh, cool. Yeah, so that's something I plan on starting not this year, but next year. I got to start on that next year because I keep putting it off because something else, other things keep coming up before it. But yeah, um, I've been asked to write a primitive sequel. So yeah, that's that's on the docket for next year, maybe late this year, depending on how quick I can write this next novel. But 
yeah, I'm really excited about that. I was asked about that a couple of years ago, and and yeah, I, I got I've been I've been thinking about it and making notes and stuff. So I feel like I'm going to be ready, hopefully by the end of the year to start it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, I don't know if um if they were necessarily like your um your very very first experiences to horror, but I would imagine that the authors you had mentioned you know, you kind of discovered at like a formative time, maybe when, you know, you were first kind of getting into it. And like, as as an extreme horror fan, you know, like I can't even imagine, you know, what is it like to, you know, you look up to, you know, these writers and in the case of J.F. Gonzalez, you know, you looked up to him and he was someone that like inspired you to get to start writing. And now you're going to get to like, write a sequel to one of his books like i can only imagine what that would be like it's it's a wild feeling yeah it well it, it kind of started with um so after jesus passed away um several years ago keen put together or brian keen put together the clickers forever anthology um that that had stories that a lot of us wrote a lot of people in my peer group the people that jesus himself was friends with the the, the peer groups above me and and all these people that knew and loved him, and we were all able to contribute to writing either nonfiction pieces or fiction pieces based in his worlds of his books. And a lot of them were clicker stories. But um, I remember very specifically on my birthday one year when I was actually I was I hadn't moved out here yet, but it was uh, I was out here visiting, and Keen and I were at a Mexican restaurant for my birthday. I guess I was out here for my birthday, and he had asked me why I hadn't submitted to it yet and i was like i don't know man like i tried to write a clicker story and i just wasn't feeling it and i was just like i'm never gonna get into this thing and then he was like well nobody wrote me a story for primitive why don't you write me something for primitive and i remember sitting there eating my dinner and i was like and i told him i was like oh yeah 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 no problem no problem the rest of the dinner internally i was going oh god oh god oh god oh god oh god and i was like panicking and i was panicking for months leading up to like the deadline and then I remembered I had this this short story idea for something else that just never really went anywhere. And I kept thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? I can make this work for this for this I, for like for this world. So I made all my notes and stuff, and I was like, yeah, this actually works perfectly. And that's and that's what I ended up doing. I ended up writing this story called "For You Anything" in that collection. And I guess I'm the only story in there that has to do with primitive. And I know Brian and Kathy really liked it, and that's kind of what came of of him event those those two eventually asking me if i if i would write this book in that world because they really like that story so yeah it's it's a primitive is a great novel um it's a post-apocalyptic book obviously it's about a um the whole world like uh, wakes up one day and like a, a big chunk of the world had been rever- reverted back to like cavemen but they were all being controlled by this very large winged like demon creature um, that, that's that's kind of come in and out of his stuff before. But, yeah, it's it's a really, really good book. And it kind of deals with uh, like a very small group of people and, and it deals with uh, people of different races and 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 racism and, and, and all these different points and stuff. Um, I know the book is kind of not necessarily set up for a sequel because it kind of ends a certain way. So I've been mm-hmm. trying to figure out how I want to do this, and I don't really want to do that thing where – I don't want to do like the typical horror movie where like the yeah. sequel comes out, and they're like, oh, guess what? It's back. Like <laughs> I don't want to yeah. do that. 
because that's just that doesn't <laughs> feel right to me. Like that'll work in like a movie. Just that'll work like with you know Freddy coming out of the ground and in, in you know in those movies. But uh, I'm trying to kind of figure out how to like write a parallel story that was happening at the same time as the other stuff elsewhere. Because that's really the only way I could make this work without just resurrecting everything again and making it happen again. That just doesn't feel right to me. So yeah, I, I've got a, I've got some ideas for it. I'm I'm nervous about it, but I'm excited. I'm excited to get onto it. But like I said, it's going to be a little bit before I start it. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's and you know that sounds like a really cool idea. And also, you know, your approach to it, like you said, um, you know, not just being like, oh, it's back, but trying to find like um a new thread kind of into yeah. that world. Like I've. I can't obviously because I'm on the spot now. I can't think of any like right off the top of my head, but like I've seen other kind of like horror things like that where like you start out watching it. Um, and well, actually, now I just fi- figured one out, but I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen uh, the movie. <laughs> There's a particular popular um, horror movie by you know some pretty popular indie directors where the whole time I was watching the movie you know I loved it because it was its own thing and then they kind of just snaked in like this connective tissue to um you know other movies that they had done and you know so it was kind of like a sequel but the whole time you're reading it it wasn't like that traditional sequel structure hmm. now you got me curious I know you don't want to say it. Maybe just like Morse code it to me or something, so I'll yeah. figure it out. I, I can DM you later <laughs> okay. because I know our, I know our uh, listeners would be pissed if they yeah. hadn't seen it yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that you know that's really um, that's really cool. Like I said, I couldn't imagine you know being able to do something like that where you kind of get to play in the world of somebody who had such a big influence on you. Yeah, and the same thing has happened just recently uh, with authors Wiley Young and Stephen Kosniewski. They just finished their first draft of their Clickers book mm-hmm. that they were asked to write. Um, I, I know, yeah, I know that they just finished their first draft. I think either, I think Kosniewski actually has it to do the second draft right now, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, um, several of us have been asked to um, either write sequels or or to kind of continue that story i know not only did did uh wiley and steven be asked to be do uh clickers books i know of i don't know if the other ones have been announced but i know of a few other people that have been asked to also write clickers books so yeah those are gonna those are gonna keep kind of slowly happening over the next several years and i know that um gabino iglesias was asked to to actually finish Mm -hmm. a unwritten or I finish it like a half written novel that Jesus had written before he passed away. So that's also a thing. So yeah, if, if there are people out there that are, uh, uh, JF Gonzalez fans, uh, there are, there is more stuff coming out there. It may not be from him, but you know, the people that have been asked, um, and graciously asked to, to, to do this, uh, to, to help kind of keep his name alive or, or there, there's stuff coming out. So just, be on the lookout over the next few years for it because this is exciting stuff. I, I'm, I know we're all very big fans of Jesus's work, and it's 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 great to see his 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 legacy to keep going. It's it's really it's really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm definitely excited for those. Um, and kind of on a similar a similar like question path, um, you know, I know that you have co-written two different books. Um, you did 
um, Where the Devil Waits with Mark Steensland, which is coming out, I believe, next month. Yep. And then um, Slaves to Gravity with Summer Cannon, which yep. came out last year with Silver Shamrock. And I was just curious, you know, because I always love hearing about these sort of processes where, you know, writers collaborate with each other and kind of, you know, the mechanics of how they go about it. Um, and I was wondering, you know, how was it for you? Um, like, I, I'm pretty sure just from listening to like other podcasts and stuff and just being on Twitter and stuff, like I know you and Summer are uh, really close, but I wasn't sure about, uh, you know, how you came to collaborate with uh, Mark. Yeah, Summer and I are actually very, very good friends. I am since I've moved out to Pennsylvania, she lives about an hour from me. But yeah, Summer and I are she's probably become honestly one of my best friends in the world. I, I love her to death. Um, yeah, like the, the idea for Slaves to Gravity was an idea that I had personally for years and years before we even started writing it. I, I, I had a very clear vision of the last chapter of the book in my head. For probably well over a decade, and I just I didn't know what to do with it. It just looked to me. I mean, I don't know if you've read the book or not, or who or anybody out there has read it. The last chapter of the book was the only thing I had in my brain for over a decade, and I really and I and I knew I really wanted to write something with someone because I I, I like reading co-written co-written books, and I I've always been really curious about the process because I did a co-writing thing once before about probably 10 or 11 years ago it was just the novelette um that's actually in my short story collection that i wrote with a friend of mine um but i really wanted to do it again so you know i'm a, i'm a you know so I, I summer and i are very good friends and i i was like you know i love her work and even though our work doesn't our, our writing styles don't necessarily match up I, I wanted to give this a shot and see how it would work and and yeah she was really into it and i pitched her the idea because that i kind of just loosely came up with that that kind of would get me to that ending eventually. Um, but I think what we came up with was really neat, um, really unique as well. I, as far as I know, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that in the, in the horror genre at least. And it's very, uh, it's very sci-fi too, like sci-fi horror, mm-hmm. which it, which it really didn't mean, it really wasn't meant to be like that either because we, I remember we got to like a halfway point in the book and I remember calling her saying, um, I think we're about to start writing a sci-fi book. What do you think? And she was like, uh, yeah, I think so, too. And I was like, well, I guess we better figure out how to write science fiction. <laughs> so, yeah, we kind of had to just learn how to write it on the fly with this book. And I, I really like what we come – I really, really love that book a lot. Uh, it, it's it's very different than anything either of us have ever written, and, and it's it's a lot of fun, and and – I think people seem to really like it, the ones that really, really did like it. But I think there were a lot of people out there that were, didn't really know what to do with it because mm-hmm. I noticed from some I, – I try not to read too many of my reviews because that's just a thing with the authors. Either you read them or you don't. I tend to kind yeah. of read them a lot at times, and I, I noticed that a lot of people didn't really know what to do with that book because they were like, well, this is really cool. But then it became sci-fi, and I don't really like sci-fi, and I'm just like, okay. I don't <laughs> yeah. really know I don't really know what to do with that, but okay. <laughs> but – um. No, I, I really love Slaves to Gravity, and, and I, I, I hope that that book keeps finding people. Uh, and I don't know when this podcast will be out, but I guess I can give a little bit of an exclusive thing. Summer and I actually have a, a Thunderstorm hardcover of Slaves to Gravity that will be out, I think, in I think in June is what we were told. Because we already signed the signature sheets and stuff, so yeah, be on the lookout for that if if, if you're into buying hardcovers. Um but yeah, the Mark Steensland thing was weird. I, I, I remember last year 
<clears throat> excuse me. Um, mm-hmm. I remember last year coming home from work one day, and I got an email from Mark Steensland, and 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 I knew the name. I didn't know it well, but I had read a few of the books that he and uh, he and James Newman had wrote. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this, what is this? This can't be real. And he was saying like, hey, you know, this is who I am. I, I have this, I have this, this outline for this book that I want to write. And, you know, I read one of your books and I really liked it. And I think, I think you would be perfect for this idea. And I didn't know what to do because I was like, what is this? Like, is this for real? And then I ended up texting Keen and I was like, hey, what is this? And And I was talking to him about it. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's real. Like he was asking me about you and this and that. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of sat on it for the rest of the night, and I was like, well, this is weird. Like, I don't know what to do with this. So I ended up eventually answering him and being like, hey, uh, yeah, talk to me about this. So we ended up Skyping and talking about it, and, and it sounded like a really cool idea. And, yeah, he had basically a a more or less finished um, outline for the book. He just wanted somebody to co-write it with, and that's that's kind of what we did. We we ended up going off of his his outline that he had, but then we were able to kind of go off and off you know off the path of that as well and stuff. So yeah, the books the books really cool, man. I, I really like I really like it. I'm looking forward to it coming out. Um, actually, uh, the hardcover uh, for Thunderstorm we got one for that too. Uh, that'll I think it's almost sold out. I know that, uh, and that'll be out. Uh, I think it should be shipping here shortly. But it's up for pre-order right now. But yeah, that's coming out from uh, Cemetery Gates Publishing in uh, I think May 22nd. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But like the difference between the two projects, and I mean, hell, I'm, I'm I we, I literally just this last week finished co-writing a book with uh, author Lucas Mangum, and um, yeah, all three projects were very different from each other. You know, Summer and I didn't really have a real strict outline, but I was kind of I was kind of driving the car on that one. I was just kind of saying like, okay, here was my chapter. Go ahead and write what you're going to write, but this is what I'm going to do after yours. So let's try to get to this point. And, um, you know, the thing with the thing with Lucas or the thing with Mark, we already had a kind of an outline set up for the whole book. But then the thing with Lucas and I, um, I kind of wanted to make sure that I didn't do the same stuff that I did with Summer because I felt I always felt kind of bad that that I would kind of took over the <laughs> the writing project and I know Summer and I have done a ton of podcasts about it and I've always felt kind of <laughs> bad that that I kind of took over the whole thing and was like here's what I want you to do so I, I didn't want to do that again to somebody else I wanted to make everything 100% both of ours so that's what we that's what that's what I wanted to make sure with this book that that Lucas and I wrote and yeah we we traded off instead of doing chapters with that book, we ended up doing sections. Uh, so we would end up either writing, you know, a 4,000 word section, or there were times where I wrote like an 8,000 word section and we would just send it back and go, okay, here's my section, like do what you got to do, send it back. And then we'll just go from there. So yeah, all three of them are very different because all, you know, the, 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 the four of us are all very different writers. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I always love hearing about that stuff and loved reading them, you know, kind of like you, is because, you know, every author, you know, has their own process, their own style and everything like that, and especially in your case now that that would be, you know, four of them, you know, like relatively close, and like not only meshing with other authors' styles and voices and things, but even like the different the difference in the processes like yeah. you know one you had a completed outline 
the other one you kind of like drove and then the other one you know you kind of traded off on the scenes um which you know is an interesting thing i believe also um the guys at uh this is horror um bob pastorella and michael david wilson i mm-hmm. believe that same process they used for um their watching yeah but um i was just curious you know out of all of those processes like did any of them kind of maybe like rub off on you like or did you find like from your experience that you know certain things like you maybe thought about things differently or it kind of like influenced your uh writing process um i don't know um I, I I think maybe because it's so fresh in my mind, this book with Lucas it has mm-hmm. been has been very eye opening. Um, so th- like the book that we wrote, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Italian horror director from the '80s, Lucio Fulci. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't really talked too much about this online, but you know, whatever, I'll do it now. I don't really care. Uh, so <laughs> Lucas and I, you know, we're both big Lucio Fulci fans. And one one day I remember seeing a thread on Facebook that Brian Smith put up about if you have the chance to write any novelization for a movie that didn't exist, what would you write? And I remember going in there and putting, oh, I would love to do Lucio Fulci's movie City of the Living Dead. I, I, I think I would do a really good job at that. There's a lot of unexplained stuff in that that I think I would be able to do a really good job at. And then Lucas came in there and said, oh, man, I'd love to do Fulci's The Beyond. That'd be cool. I'd be able to pull that off. And we got to going back and forth talking about, oh, yeah, if you did that, you'd have to do this Fulci trope. And you, if you did this, you'd have to do that Fulci trope. And we went back and forth for a little bit, and I thought it was a lot of fun. And I was like, man, that'd be really cool, but it's never going to happen. And then we just – and then I sat and thought about it for about a month after that. And I was like, you know what? I think it'd be really cool to write – a Fulci movie that doesn't exist, like a lost mm-hmm. Fulci movie. And 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 I was like, you know what? I, I think it'd be really cool. Let's let me see if Lucas would be interested in this because I know that he knows the, the material. Let's let's give this a shot. So I pitched him the idea that I had for this, and he was really into it. And yeah, we wrote like a 30, 37,000 word novella over it. And and like I said, the process for that one was so much so where like we didn't write chapters, we wrote sections which was the first time that i had ever done that so we we set up this entire book almost like if you were watching a movie instead Mm -hmm. of writing chapters we wrote sections and and there were section breaks in like you would have like in a movie and and uh yeah it was a really unique process because he kind of had his characters and i had my characters and then about halfway through about three quarters of the way through they started intermingling and which was a lot different than, say, like what Summer and I did, because Summer and I's book, uh, we only had just the one character uh, whose point of view we were in the entire book. So to be able to start doing – start writing Lucas's characters was was a very unique and, and, and having to like learn their quirks that he put in and then kind of putting also my stamp on it and then going back and really – smoothing the whole thing out with sandpaper it, that's that's kind of the hardest part i've found in in a lot of the the co-writing that we've done is mm-hmm. being able to kind of give and take um each author's voice and make it to where it seems like it's one voice the entire way through because that's the thing with these co-writing projects 
you do not want to be able to go chapter to chapter and be like, oh, that's so-and-so writing that. Oh, that's so-and-so writing that. Oh, that's so-and-so writing that. That's If you're doing that, then it's taking you out of the story. You should be able to just read the story from beginning to end and be able to enjoy the story without being able to dissect it and be like, ah, I'm pretty sure that was so-and-so writing that. I'm pretty sure that was that person doing that part. Like that and every time I co-write with somebody, I tell them, I do not want to try. I don't want to spend the whole book trying to one up each other. I hate mm-hmm. that stuff. I, I read a, a co-written books of several years ago where I could tell I could already tell who was writing what chapter because I already I, I kind of knew who I already knew the people that wrote it because I knew their style, individual styles. But I could tell at the end of each chapter they were constantly trying to one up each other and I didn't enjoy it because it was taking me out of the story. I don't like that. I if we're gonna write something, I want to make sure that it is a cohesive story from beginning to end. And yeah, we can do our big things that we're looking forward to. We can write those big action scenes or gore scenes or whatever, whatever so you know whatever you're gonna do. But I don't want it to be a constant like throwing it back to the other person. And go, how are you gonna get out of this mess? Like <laughs> yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's fun. I did that a few times this summer where I would write like the end of a chapter and something would abruptly happen, and I'd throw it back to her. And then she would she would text me back like an hour later going, you son of a bitch, what am I going to do now? But I was like, it's obvious what you're going to do now. Just do it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just I don't like the one upsmanship in that stuff. Sometimes it works if you've got like authors that are good at doing that and don't mind doing that. But I don't want to do that. I want to tell a story. I don't want to constantly try to just, you know, try to make the other author get out of a get out of a terrible situation and, and put them in a corner. I, I don't like doing that. I want to tell a story. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And like, um, you know, I might've seen those things and just like missed out on them. Cause like, you know, it was like earlier in my life or whatever, but yeah, like you said, it, it takes, it takes you out of it. And then it almost kind of like, you know, regardless of what type of story it is kind of makes it like almost like cheesy. So like you can even be writing something like super extreme, but you know, if you're constantly doing that, like I feel like it would reach a certain point where it becomes like almost comical in a way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's probably not, you know, what you're going for, but um, yeah, a collaborative thing like that, you know, I've always been fascinated by the dynamics because like you said, um, you don't want to do that. So it's almost like you're coming into it kind of, like you, there has to be some give and take there in terms of like, you know, balancing out the ideas and, you know, each person kind of getting what they want out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what happened with Lucas and I's book. I, I know we just finished it recently and, and I, I, I have this bad problem with every time I finish a new project, I want to get it out there and sell it as quick as possible. <laughs> yeah. And I probably, I probably shouldn't be admitting that out loud. It's a terrible thing to say, but I, I'm I'm very impatient when it comes to a business that you have to have a lot of patience in because that's all this business is is waiting. All mm-hmm. you're doing is fucking waiting in this business for things to happen. It sucks. And I am a very impatient person. I'm so impatient that when I was younger, I used to open up my Christmas presents before Christmas and I would just peel them open just to see what they were. And then I would <laughs> carefully put the tape back on. And I'd rub the tape back in just to make sure that it was perfectly in the line so nobody would be able to tell. That's the kind of kid I was. <laughs> it's terrible. And uh, yeah, 
uh, now I feel like I lost what I was saying. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So yeah, we finished we finished our book and we got it out to some pre-readers just recently and and we got a lot of good we got a lot of good feedback and stuff. But then and then I was like, okay, we got to sell this. We got to find somebody. And he was like, well, why don't we slow down a little bit and look at what we have here and see if we want to make some changes. And and I remember after he said that, I was just like, okay, you're absolutely right. I need to slow down, take it, you know, take it a day at a time and say, look, we don't have to sell this this very second. He's absolutely right. I don't want to rush it because I want this book to be perfect. I and and I's corn and this is going to sound so fucking corny what I'm about to say. I swear to god, I'm going to regret saying it after I say it. I want to know that somewhere in the ether that Lucio Fulci would be proud of this story that we wrote. I want to know that the old man is somewhere in somewhere in his grave in in Italy, smiling because we did a good job with this story. And and Lucas was absolutely right. I, I we had to slow down, and go back through this, and we want to tinker with it and make sure that it is absolutely perfect. And that's what he's doing, like literally right now as we're recording. I know he was working on it earlier today. He said he wanted to go back and and make a little some changes and stuff, and then I'll I'll do the same thing when I get it back from him. So yeah, it's it's uh. Yeah, it's it's I, I again I've lost my thought. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's what happens when I get on tangents about stuff. I, I get I get this thing in my mind and then and then by the end I'm like, well, wait a minute, what were we talking about? <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I can totally relate to that. And you know that combined with um like for what it's worth, I don't think it's cheesy. Like I think it's just that, you know, like you're really excited about it and you know, I, I feel like that bodes well for uh you know, for the book. And, um, yeah, like it's that, like, I want to read it now <laughs> just off the little that you, uh, you know, want to share. Cause I know you don't want to give away too, too much about it, but just from no, what you've no. told me, it sounds, it sounds pretty awesome. It, it's, it's really cool. It was cool. Kind of like we had to make a list of like, like I said, like all of those tropes that he uses in his movies and he, that he's very well known for. He's very well known for his gore his eye gouging he's always known for his eye gouging he's got a thing about eyes in his movies i don't know what it is but it's just something about eyes <laughs> there's always animal attacks there's always um oh god what what am i blank why am i blanking now there's always a lot of goop for some reason there's just a lot of goop on things there's a lot of like worms and maggots and shit there's just <laughs> yeah. a lot of these things that and, and then there's just little things here and there that I'm hoping that Fulci fans will be able to pick up on because I don't know if I just have like, and I don't mean to sound like an asshole by saying this. So I apologize. I don't mean this to sound bad the way I say this, but I, I, my wife swears that I have like mild Asperger's because I tend to like, like grab onto stuff and not let go of it. And I, I tend to like hyper-focus on stuff a little bit too much at times. And I notice these little things in his movies that probably nobody else notices, but I was like, okay, I've seen this a couple of times in his movies. I feel like that's a trope. We need to put it in here. Even if nobody else sees it, I want to put it in there. So what's funny is there's actually a scene in this book where there's a basement door, and next to the basement door there's a sign that says do not entry. Not do not enter. Do, it says do not entry. And all of our And all of our pre-readers have come back to us with their notes, and they say – I think you misspelled enter, and I have to message them and go, no, 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 I did not misspell this. Here's the story behind that. So in his movie, The Beyond, you have to realize these movies are done in the 80s, and they're done with all Italian 
crews and and mostly Italian actors as well who don't speak English because a lot of these movies were overdubbed or like ADR'd after the films were done. So they didn't speak English very well. So in the beyond, they're at a morgue in a hospital, and there's a sign next to the morgue door that says do not entry, and nobody on set realized that that should have said enter, do not enter. So it's this kind of ongoing joke with Fulci fans about the do not entry thing. So yeah, I went and put do not entry on this sign next to the door in this orphanage in the book, and I'm hoping that Fulci fans will be able to pick up on that because it's funny as hell to me. But then like – Later, like early in the book, if you've ever seen his movie uh, uh, House by the Cemetery, every time that they're in the kitchen in that movie, you see – for whatever reason, you see a box of that snack called Fiddle Faddle. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen I'm, – I'm sure you've heard of that stuff. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of an old school snack, I guess. I'm not even actually sure if it's still around or not. But I noticed in that movie, again, with my hyper-focusing – that you see a box of fiddle faddle every time you go into the kitchen of that place. It's always sitting in different spots, either on the table or on the counter or whatever. So it's like, that's really funny. I should put that in our book. So at the beginning of the book, someone's holding a box of fiddle faddle. It's just little things like that that make me laugh that I'm like, I hope somebody else reads this and, and laughs too because they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But who knows? They probably won't. <laughs> yeah you never know but like that that is kind of cool like um you know because i've seen that same sort of thing in um you know books that i've read that you know i always notice too and think are really cool kind of like um especially if you're either just referencing something or if you're kind of writing something in that style like those little easter eggs so that yeah. people who are into that stuff like you said it's kind of like a nice surprise and that's and that's I think that's one of the big reasons why Brian Keene got so popular uh, very early on because he was writing all this stuff with just Easter eggs galore. I mean, he was writing all of his stuff in, and he still does, but he was writing all this stuff in his labyrinth uh, mythos. And being a reader of his early stuff all the way up until now, it's always a lot of fun um, picking up those Easter eggs and going and and and. And just going, oh, yeah, that's that. That's that. OK, cool, cool, cool. Like, I know what that is. I know what that means. It, it's, you know, King does that a lot. King does that with all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've kind of slowly tried to do that with my own stuff. Um, so like One for the Road has that 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 death metal band in in the book called Rotten Hell. Well, I, uh, I don't know who else out there has actually read the book, but, you know, stuff happens to this band and. I, I've kind of tried to plug that into some other stuff that I've done. Like so like the band is actually referenced very briefly in uh in Where the Devil Waits. And I don't know if Mark Steensland actually knows it or not. I'm I'm sure I'm sure he probably read it and was like, okay, whatever. Like <laughs> like I don't know what these kids are talking about in this scene. But I've kind of tried to make this band like sort of like a notorious band for like what happened to them in this book. So they're also mentioned in my collection, Resisting Madness. They're actually mentioned in the uh, in the novella, Resisting Madness, very briefly too. So I'm kind of having fun getting those, putting those little Easter eggs in there. I hope to keep doing that more and more. Mm-hmm. The more stuff I put out, but even even uh, Slaves to Gravity actually has kind of an Easter egg in it. There's a there's a minor character in that book that was actually a like a very minor character in a short story of mine. Uh, called Arrearages that's in my collection and I I don't know if anybody picked up on it probably not I don't I don't know 
honestly, I'll be honest, I don't know what kind of readership I have. So I don't know what mm-hmm. what they've what they've found or, or read or haven't read. But yeah, there's a minor character that 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 shares in both of those and both of those stories. So yeah, I, I hope to keep doing that more and more in the future because I really like that stuff a lot. Yeah, same here. Like as a reader, even especially like even not just like regular Easter eggs, but like kind of noticing like as I read authors' books, you know that underlying like mythos, so to speak. Yeah, um, you know. It's just like a minor thing. Like I've always thought that that was really cool. Yeah, it's um, always it's always fun reading that stuff in King's books. Like when you're reading, yeah. uh, like I don't know if you've read uh, eleven twenty two sixty three, but yes. like when yeah, when the main character like just comes out of the out of the portal or whatever the the door, and he he finds himself in Dairy and he runs into Eddie Spaghetti and Bev, and you're just like, oh shit, like. He's in Dairy, and those are the kids from It. Like, it's just little things like that that just make you go, oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because, like, I had seen um, another interview you did where you kind of mentioned that book. And I love that book so much. Oh, God, I you know. do too. And don't get me wrong. I, I love his horror stuff. But lately anymore, um, like, I found that I really enjoy – maybe a little bit more even like his stuff that kind of has, you know, either horror or supernatural elements, but isn't, you know, necessarily like mm. the same kind of horror that he's known for, like that book and like Joyland. Oh, Those God, are all some great. of my favorite ones. Yeah. And I'm oh, really man. excited to read later. Oh yeah. I, I read that. I read that uh, right after it came out. It was very, very good. It was much different than what I thought it was going to be. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not really sure why it's a hard case crime book. To be completely honest with you, because it doesn't really fit what they normally do. I mean, I don't really mm-hmm. read a lot of that, the hard case crime stuff, but I'm kind of aware that they don't really do like supernatural stuff. And this book mm-hmm. very much is a supernatural book. I'm not going to give anything away, but like it's a mm-hmm. great book. It's a great book, but I'm not really sure why they put it out under that under that label. But either way, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Eleven twenty two sixty three. Probably right next to Under the Dome is my favorite King book. Um, 112263 had me absolutely weeping like a fucking baby at the end of that book. That last <laughs> chapter about destroyed me. And you know what yeah. else did too? Um, his novella, Elevation. Elevation, mm-hmm. I know a lot of people didn't like it for whatever reason or another. That book was amazing, and that ending had me absolutely bawling. And I don't ball at books. Like I'll ball at movies. It's very rare that a book gets me to the point where I'm actually like crying. Mm-hmm. Elevation had me weeping at the end of it. It was so beautifully written and so like emotional. And I was like, fuck, I would kill to be able to write something that would make anybody feel the way that I'm feeling right now. Yeah, yeah, I can I can totally relate to that. I haven't read that one yet, but um, I had it like because yeah. sometimes like I'm sure you're aware of the whole TBR thing. Like, oh god, yeah, I'll, I'll buy them, but then like you know I'll get something else and I'll be like, oh, and then I read this thing over here, and then the next thing you know, I'm like, holy shit, I still haven't read that. But yeah, yeah, I know that, in the same that, way. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same way I kind of felt about Joyland. Like I. I don't even know if I can, like, I don't know what it is about that book. Like, it's one of those things that I can't put into words, but I've read it a couple times now. And it's just like one of those feelings you get where you're like, man, I just really fucking love this book. Like, I don't know if it's when I read it or, yeah. yeah, It's a character piece. I don't remember, 
Joyland as well because I read it right after it came out, and that was mm-hmm. what six, seven, five, six years ago, maybe, maybe a little more, a little less. I can't remember, but I remember oh, really, God. really loving that book too. And yeah, I, I, I hope to write something like that soon or, or eventually. I've got kind of an idea for something that that's going to be a very character-driven kind of non-supernatural piece that I really want to do. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I I really love things that really get you in the feels, you know. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I I really want to do something like I really want to write something like that because it, it's it's fun writing, you know, the monster stuff or the gore stuff or you know the extreme stuff. Like that's fun, but like the stuff that lives forever are books like that. The, the books that that everybody that that can make people cry, that can make people hurt or or make people feel something that's that's the kind of stuff that lives on forever and that, that i want to hopefully write something like that soon that that even if it's just one book i, I want to do something like that, that 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 lives on and makes people feel like the way we're talking about 11 63 or joyland or elevation something that you know people years down the road can go man god the way that book made me feel man i just was on the floor afterwards it's like i that's that's what I think every author is searching for is that one or not even just that one, but that that type of writing or that 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 book or that story, that one story that's just going to get everybody. And, and that's some guys, some people get it and some people don't. But it's I, that's something I, I I aspire to for sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, that kind of brings me to uh, your new book, Cruel Summer. Um you know, it definitely has the monster thing going on for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, one, but one of the things that I liked about it was, um, you know, kind of the whole relationship dynamic between uh, Melissa and her son, Patrick. Yeah. Um, you know, like that whole thing and kind of their journey, you know, as a family. Um, you know, that was something that I really loved about it. And also, like, even though there's certain elements where I maybe – not came around, but was like, okay, like maybe I can see why. But I have to say, like, man, I hated Hoyt so bad. Not because, <laughs> he was, not because he was written badly or anything like that, but he was just such an asshole. Oh, and I was like, I was like, I hope he goes away. <laughs> He's he was a scumbag, man. He was a lot of fun to write because, like, I could just I wanted to write an absolute scumbag irredeemable character like this guy was just a scumbag to be a scumbag because he's just like we all we all know people like this we Mm -hmm. all know somebody like this i work with people like this every day of my life and these people are just irredeemable shitheads that treat you know their spouses like shit and they they have no redeemable qualities and that's how hoyt is i mean even even with his small backstory that i wrote um you know a I'd say about a third of the way into the book, you know, it, it, it he's still a shithead. You know, he's always been a yeah. shithead character. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's been, it's been enjoyable getting the comments from people about that book and, and how much they, they enjoyed it, but also how much they fucking loathe Hoyt. And I'm like, yeah, that I did, <laughs> yeah. I did my job. I did my job then. Cause that, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, cool summer. I it, that that I that's that's what I was going for with that book. I there's really not honestly, and I hope I'm not giving anything away, but there's really not a lot of of extreme to that book. I mean, it's a dark book. There's mm-hmm. a lot of dark stuff in it, but it's not a splattery book. It's not an extreme book. It's a it's it's I I really wanted to write a character piece. It's it's I wanted to show that relationship of 
of those three and then introducing uh, Jordan later in the book and, and having having all that stuff happen between all of them and, and rediscovering each other and 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 uh, Patrick you know f- finding out about his his family you know his his father that he didn't know about and yeah the the emotional stuff of that it was a challenge I had never done anything quite like that and I, I I hope it came out okay. It sounds like I it sounds like it came out okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I really love that book a lot. It's been very it's been very pleasing to see the way people have taken to it and and have really enjoyed it. And it's it's made me feel really good. It, it makes me feel very good about that book. Yeah, yeah, I think people are definitely uh, receiving it in that way. Cause and yeah, like I said, that was. That was some of my favorite things about it. Um, you know, the cover obviously catches you with, oh yeah, <laughs> with like the monster thing, and like I did love all that stuff. But yeah, like you said, that stuff. Um, you know, I really, I really connected with it. Like just kind of watching like what they went through, and not necessarily you know the bad stuff with Hoyt, but even just some of the other things. Um, like uh, when they have fun together and stuff like that and just seeing that natural uh, yeah. relationship. And like, and like you said, it might not be a splattery type book, but there was a lot of really cool scenes in there. Um, one, I don't want to mention really because it's towards the end, but yeah, like uh, one that's not like some of the stuff you did, like, uh, like there's a really cool animal scene where, um, without telling people what it is, like the, the, it's the not man, the Mansi Park. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I did not. The Mansi Park was probably my favorite scene in the book, actually. Yeah, me too. Because you see those, and the like, at least for me, like the thought of them being scary or something bad happening with them, like never even crossed my mind. So like when I saw it, I was like, this is so cool. So, so everything in that book, every location, the entire, the entire setting of New Smyrna beach, Florida, the, the condo that they stay at, the, uh, the Italian restaurant across the street, the grocery store, the gas stations, the restaurants, Every, and and the Manatee Park. Every single location in that book is a real location in real life. New Smyrna Beach is a place that my family and I have been vacationing in every year for decades. And um, my wife and I were actually just there last October for kind of a long weekend getaway. Um, and we always stay at the same condo there. And it's the same one that I modeled the the one after in the book. Although I didn't give it a name because I didn't want to I didn't want to name it, but. Um, yeah, so the Manatee Park actually is a real location, and I did um, – I actually did a video on YouTube while we were down there in eight, or in uh, October where my wife followed me around with a camera, and I did a walkthrough of that entire scene from beginning to end um, in real – like kind of in real time um, of that whole scene where like the walk bridge or like the little walkway bridge across and then like mm-hmm. the playground and the bathroom and everything. Um yeah, that's that's a that's a location that I'd been to a thousand times. You know, I, I could see it perfectly in my head. Like I said, if anybody wants to know what I'm talking about that has read it or even or even you, if you wanted to go on there, just go to my YouTube page and the videos on there. It's about, you know, five, six minutes long. But um, yeah, it's that that place I've been to a million times and I know that place well and those manatees and stuff. And I just remember when I was going to when I was outlining that scene, I was like, man. 
this would be really cool. I don't know if people are going to like be into this or if they're going to like it or if they're going to think it's really stupid, but I love it and I'm going to do it. And yeah, I, I've gotten that response from people that are like, I can't believe you did that with like the most docile creatures on the planet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what made it so cool is because it's so unexpected. <laughs> like, <laughs> but yeah, no, and that's cool, you know, like I had read that at the end, you know, I think like uh, it was like an afterword or something where yeah, you would yeah. kind of mention that. And I always, I always love hearing that because, and too, I'm sure it helped you when you were writing it because it was a place you were intimately familiar with. But, and and like, I feel like it's weird because like some of them I find out like after the fact, but like there's other books I've read where authors have kind of done that and they've taken places that, you know, are actually real and they kind of like set their stories around it. And it's a place that's kind of special to them. Yeah. And I feel like it just adds that like extra something to the story. Oh yeah. Like I said, I, I know, I know New Smyrna very, very well. I know it very intimately. Um, and it, and it, and it's weird because it's very well, set up for the story i mean it's new the beach side of new smyrna itself is a uh coastal barrier island so it's just an island that's like a yeah it's it's kind of a uh two or three mile island that's literally like just uh like a tiny bridge away from just touching the actual mainland if you cut off the two causeway bridges as far as i know at least from my research there's really no way to get back onto the mainland unless you just get on a boat and just go across like the little in the what's called the Indian River. But if you cut off those bri- if you cut off those bridges, I mean, you're kind of stuck. So it kind of just lends itself perfectly for this story that I came up with. And yeah, I, I love New Samara so much, and and I I kind of feel bad for what I did to it at the end of the book. I not, again, <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm not giving anything away, but like. Uh, yeah, I I really love that place, and yeah, like you said, it's it's interesting reading stuff where where the author knows uh, the areas so intimately. Like um, so like you know, growing up reading Keen's stuff, Keen's stuff. I live literally in the place right now where the majority of his books take place. You know, mm-hmm. I I live in the town where where uh, Skip Inspector's uh, book, The Bridge takes place like i know the bridge like i literally know the bridge that that book takes place i i live not that far from where uh brian Keane's book terminal took place i i i've i've seen the bank that that book takes place in i i've been to the hollow that dark hollow takes place in it's actually called ray myers hollow i've been there uh you can almost take a tour of this area and, and see all the places that all of his stuff took place in. It's really neat. Um, but yeah, when, when you know that an author is writing like a, like kind of small town or or like a place that's not, you know, New York, LA, Chicago, like that stuff gets boring as shit. Like, let's be honest. Like I'm tired Mm -hmm. of reading stuff or I'm tired of seeing movies that take place in those places. Like it's fine. But when you get to a place like New Smyrna Beach, like who the hell has ever written about New Smyrna Beach? Is I'm <laughs> yeah. sure somebody has, but I don't know of. But it's a place like that that you're just like, oh, this is different. Okay, oh, this is a real place. Cool. Like that that to me is really unique, and and I like I really like seeing that a lot. Yeah, yeah, same. And I definitely agree. Um, like you said about like some of the some of the bigger places. Um, you know, I still enjoy those things, but like you said, it's it. 
it's cool when it's something a little bit different because um like we were talking to uh laird baron kind about Mm -hmm. that kind of you know people always when they when they say new york they automatically think new york city but like the reality is is you know there's big cities like new york city buffalo rochester Mm -hmm. but there's also large large parts of it that are you know, extremely rural, like farmland. Oh, and then yeah. you have like the Adirondacks. And I'm like, yeah, like everyone says New York, it's pretty much New York City. Other than that, you have to use a couple, unless it's like Buffalo, you have to use a couple different geographic points. Like when I tell people, yeah. like I live between Rochester and Syracuse and right on Lake Ontario. Right. <laughs> <laughs> rather than just like new york city <laughs> and most and most of my stuff honestly takes place back where i'm from i you know i i live in the south central pennsylvania now but i i grew up the majority of my life was spent in uh in southwestern indiana in evansville indiana and honestly most of my stuff if it's not said where it takes place most of the time it mentally is set in that area just because I'm from that area. I know that area very well. And it's also interesting because it's not an area that's ever written about. You know, you're never going to read about Evansville, Indiana. Like, no, probably, yeah. nobody knows where the hell that's at. But, you know, it's like the third biggest city in the state, but nobody knows that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because nobody – like, if you – like, like you know what's funny? Most of the people here in, in central Pennsylvania, I tell them that I'm from Indiana, and they're like, where is that again? That's a state. Because it's a, yeah. it's a fly, it's a flyover state to most people, but I don't know. That might just be the, it might just be the fucking Pennsylvanians I live around. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I know what you mean. Um, yeah. like people, like like I was telling you, like kind of where I grew up in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Like the name itself is weird, Schwanksville, and like no nobody. Well, now it's kind of developed up. And, like, it's actually, like, a pretty big suburb. But, like, when I lived there, there was, like, nothing. Yeah. And, like, people that even lived maybe within a half-hour radius are, like, where's that? (laughs) So, yeah, I totally totally can relate to that. (laughs) I'm actually trying to Google it right now just because I'm curious. Oh, okay, I misspelled it. Oh, Uh, yeah, it's a a tough one. (laughs) Schwenk with with it. It (laughs) is. Yeah. Uh, okay, I see. So it was like north of King of Prussia, like east of mm-hmm. Pottstown. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now it's a little bit, I wouldn't say well-known, but it's a little bit more well-known now that it's a little bit bigger than it was when I was there. But yeah, I, 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 can I like the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People are like, what? <laughs> and you know, Pennsylvania, they have a rich history with, uh, you know, some wow. interesting town names. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, I live, I live right across the river from from Lancaster County, and, and yeah, got, got intercourse, blue balls, bird hand. It's a lot yeah. of weird. It's a lot of weird. Pennsylvania is a weird ass state, man. It God, is. This place, this place is so fucking weird. Everything, everything. Their, their excuse for everything here is, oh, it's it's Pennsylvania Dutch. It's Pennsylvania. You wouldn't get it. It's just Pennsylvania Dutch. And I'm just like that. It cannot be the excuse for everything weird here. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's crazy? They want to talk about their German heritage here, and they want to talk about how, oh, Pennsylvania Dutch, 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 German, 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 Dutch, Dutch, Dutch. And I'm just like, okay, point me to a good German restaurant. And they're like, uh, 
uh, here's some Scrapple. And I'm like, I don't want Scrapple. I want fucking German food. Where's the German food? They're like, uh, uh, I don't know. Here's something made of like pig ass. And I'm just like, get out of here here with the shit. That's a, that's a pretty, uh, I'm sure, I don't know how many listeners we have from that area, but um, (laughs) if if anyone, if anyone Googles Scrapple, like that is a pretty, uh, that is a pretty apt description. I won't won't touch it. I won't touch it. It's so (laughs) disgusting looking. But but I also say that, but I'm also like a huge sausage fan. Like I love breakfast sausage. Like I love breakfast sausage, but I won't touch fucking Scrapple. (laughs) Won't touch it. I, I think it's, uh. Like, and people are going to be like, why the hell are they still talking about Scrapple? But just, uh, yeah, just for, (laughs) just for, um, like context, like I think more so than anything, it has to do with kind of like the, the texture of it and just like the appearance of it. Like, cause I have eaten it. I think it's okay depending on where you get it from, but it's, yeah, it's definitely got a weird Okay, so, so, Google, so Google says it's pork scraps and trimmings combined with cornmeal and wheat flour. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Yummy, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> I don't care, dude. We could talk. We can make fun of Pennsylvania for like the next two hours. For it. I don't care. I'm not, from, I'm not from this state, so I love making fun of it. I don't care. It's funny because like I, I, I am from there and I love it. But, yeah, there's definitely uh, – there's definitely a lot of things people could uh, joke about about Pennsylvania. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, eight, the 80s never died here, man. It's still it's still alive and well, man. Just mullets as far as the eye can see. It's funny. It's funny you say that because um, where I lived, it was maybe like 20 minutes from there, but um, it's now closed down. But it was kind of like an indoor farmers market. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was called Zerns, and that's <laughs> that's kind of what I always thought about it is like it was like a time portal, like back yeah. in time, <laughs> and like it always like blew me away because like you know it could be like I don't know the last time I was there maybe like the early two thousands, but it was like you had just got sucked straight through a time warp to like nineteen ninety three or something. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, it's the 2000s haven't hit this state quite yet. It, it Maybe in a couple more years. Oh boy, I have so many. I have so many things I can make fun of the state for. I swear to God, they people in this area think that like the pizza here is like the best in the world. I swear to God, it's the worst pizza I've ever eaten. I hate it. I hate the pizza here. And people will make fun of me for saying this. The pizza where I'm from in the Midwest is infinitely better than the pennsylvania pizza i swear to god i I, i'm from so like where i'm from the pizza there is is very thin and crispy crust like it's it's like like almost like a cracker crust Mm -hmm. and it's cut and it's cut into squares because it's like a tavern pizza that's what they call it it's like ohio valley square cut like tavern pizza it's so fucking good and every time i show like a picture of it to people out here they're like what is that shit and why is it cut like that they get very offended by it (laughs) and i'm like my god like you guys don't know what you're missing like this pizza's so good i miss it so much like i had to go i had to fly back home a couple weeks ago because my grandfather had died but when i was out there uh, i made sure to eat like that pizza like two or three times in like the three days that i was there because it's so fucking it's so fucking good i miss it so much and i i i don't know my wife is probably going to hear this and, and like be all like, why are you talking about this again? But uh, <laughs> I hate I hate the food out here. Everything is also like cr- 
crab as well because I live I only live like 40 minutes from Baltimore mm-hmm. and everything here is just crab 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 and I'm like I fucking hate seafood for the most part yeah and everything is crab and it's disgusting and I hate the way it smells and that's all my wife eats is just like crab cakes or crab soup or crab this or crab that and it's just like ugh, I hate it so close and you know what's funny is you know i know there's probably no correlation whatsoever but it's funny because it's probably more so at the beach but just like a humorous thing is that you hate like seafood and all that stuff so much but a lot of the stuff with cruel summer it's like you know they're going fishing and there's like aquatic life (laughs) okay i take it back i don't absolutely hate seafood there's some that i like but mm-hmm. for the most part, I don't I don't like it. So, yeah, it's I'm the same been, way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Of, <laughs> a lot of it out here is very crab based and Old Bay and that, you know, whatever that nasty shit actually is. <laughs> but, oh, man, I don't know. I, I, I again, people are probably being like, oh, God, why are you guys still talking about food? It's like I'm fat. Like, I like to talk about food. I don't care. <laughs> so am I. Like, <laughs> I like I could probably yeah, I could talk about all kinds of food things for forever basically like i think one time we had a we had an episode where i brought up uh like pork roll or whatever and i could hear now i even though now i know you're from very close to jersey yeah when (laughs) like i think shane was muted but i could still practically hear his eyes rolling in his head (laughs) he's like are you serious oh man i haven't had pork roll but i've heard a lot about it it's pretty good. That's, a, pretty that's good. a Jersey thing, right? Mostly. Uh, sort of. Yeah. Um, I was the, the yeah. Jersey, the Jersey guys that I know, like Tim Meyer and, 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 uh, oh shit, who else lives in Jersey? Or I know, uh, uh Armand Rosamilia is from Jersey, but I know those guys are all about their, their, uh, their pork rolls. So no, yeah, I've, I've never had it. <laughs> that was the episode where it came up was with Armand. <laughs> okay. That's probably why. They- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but um, what well, <laughs> to, to kind of somewhat back on track. Um, just one thing um that was sticking with me, and then I'll hit you with maybe like a couple quicker questions. Is um, you know, I know that you're a big fan of like um, you know, character driven stories. And for you, I was just curious what it was like you know what it's like for you like when you're making your characters like do you have like a set process do you kind of like quote unquote get inside their heads so to speak i mean you do do you have to to know them that well to write about them but i was just kind of curious you know like how you get to know your characters well i i outline everything before i write it i'm i'm one of those rare people one of those rare writers that likes to outline every single thing before I sit down and write. And I know that's not a very popular thing. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I listen to a lot of ones that like, you know, a lot of the people that I know in the business, you know, get interviewed mm-hmm. just like this one. And I know most of most of the authors that I know, they like to pants their work. They like to fly by the seat of their pants and they they kind of know what they're going to do. They kind of know what they're going to do with their characters and they just sit and go. And I did that at the beginning, but I found that I don't like it. I just – I find I get stuck, and I don't like getting stuck. I don't like that feeling of getting stuck. So several years ago, I decided I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to learn how to outline, and I'm going to outline everything. So I – at my job, I work as a forklift operator 
um, at a very big corporation. And most of the time I'm either on a forklift or I'm on a tugger machine where I drive around and, and deliver parts to like the assembly line. So I have a lot of downtime. So I carry a notebook with me every day to work. And I spend a good chunk of my day just outlining my stories. So I, I, I will make the beginning of my outline will have a character sheet with all the characters that I want to put in this book that I already know are going to be in there. I give them, you know, the, the way they look like, I don't usually like to overly describe my characters in my book. I will kind of do a little bit here and there, mostly like hair color or something, but I don't usually say like, Oh, this person was tall or this person had a weird nose or anything, unless it's like pertinent to like their character. Uh, I don't know, going forward or something, or if they have like a weird thing that the character, other characters notice about them. But, um, yeah, I usually know – I know all of my characters. I know all the situations that they're going to be in long before I start writing because I don't trust my – I shouldn't probably shouldn't say that. I, I, don't, I don't like to fly by the seat of my pants. I want to know what my story is going to be for every chapter from beginning to end, the entire book, all the way to the end before I start writing it. That way when I do start writing it, I don't have to overthink it. I can look at my outline for that chapter and know exactly what I want to do, and I go in, and all I got to do is actually just write it, and it's very well laid out. I don't actually write like dialogue for the most part. Like I'll do little snippets here and there if there's like a like a little thing that I really do want to remember and don't forget. But yeah, every one of my things are outlined. Like I, the novel that I'm just about to start, I might actually even start it tomorrow, depending on if I still need to clean my basement, like we were talking about before with my basement flooding <laughs> today. Um, I I did an outline like last summer for a novel, I guess uh, like a haunted house book that I'm going to start writing. And I have the entire thing done from beginning to end. I know these characters intimately and I know the exact situations I'm going to put them in and, and all this stuff. And all I have to do is just sit my book up next to me and look at the chapter look what I need to do, look at the screen and just start writing. And I don't have to overthink it. And so, yeah, I usually know my characters very, very intimately before I start. Um, I don't know. That's just that's just how I like to do it. I know it's not again, and that's no, it's not a very popular thing. I know a lot of people kind of probably poo-poo that that idea of doing that, but that's that's just how I personally do it. You know, I mm. I didn't start writing until maybe about 13, 14 years ago. You know, I writing wasn't something that I wanted to do my entire life. I wrote some when I was younger, but you know, I, I was a musician most of my life. I I wanted to be a guitar player. I wanted to tour the world and, and be a world famous heavy metal guitar player in a band and just tour the rest of my life. You know, I, I went to music school. I went to um the Atlanta Institute of Music in uh in Gwinnett County, Georgia and you know, that's that's all I wanted to do. And and I moved back home afterwards and I just wasn't happy with playing anymore and I kind of discovered the writing thing and 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 decided I wanted to try writing, and that's what I've been doing ever since. And I found I I think I'm good at it. I hope. Um, but yeah, I I don't feel like I was I I wasn't necessarily I had to learn how to write. It wasn't something that came terribly natural to me, and and I had to like kind of cultivate my voice over the last several years. And I'm still trying to find it. I feel like I'm I'm getting closer, maybe, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question or not. Again, I started talking yeah. and I was like, wait a minute, I think I got off on a tangent there again. <laughs> no, um, no, it does. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of funny you mention that because, like, you know, there's so many, there's so many different, there's so many 
different styles of writing out there and like people's processes. But like, it's just interesting because, you know, you had said that, you know, it's not a real popular thing, um, the whole super outlining and all that. But I have to say, like, there's various stages of it. And like, you know, a lot of people do t- kind of tend towards like the pantsing thing. But I'd say like we had almost just as many who kind of take the same approach um, that you do. Like they like to have at least if it, it might not be in depth, but they like to at least have some kind of framework because like yeah. they feel like it kind of helps keep them on track because, you know, I've written a couple stories and stuff and. I definitely, uh, like, I kind of go by the pantsing method, but, like, I can also see where, you know, there's been times where I've gotten stuck on something for a very long time, and, like, eventually, you know, I'll break through and be like, oh, I got this, but, like, I could see where I was like, you know, if I would have just planned this out, it would have helped take some of that guesswork away. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I like to do. Like I said, I have so much downtime at my day job. All I mm-hmm. do is just sit and think about story ideas. I mean, that's all I have to do is just sit and think about story ideas. So, yeah, I, I like kind of sitting and, and thinking about, okay, what's the next chapter going to be? And I don't have to sit there and think about that in the moment as I'm writing it, you know, on my computer while I'm actually writing the first draft. I can just look over to what I already have and know exactly what I want to do. It, it helps me so much. It helps me so much. I, I really like doing that a lot. But I like I like the fact that, um. Yeah, I have an entire novel ready to go. And the thing is, it was mm-hmm. funny after I wrote that. After I wrote the uh, outline for this book, I remember after I finished it, I was emotionally drained after it. Like I had actually writ- wrote the entire thing already. It was a really weird feeling. And there mm-hmm. for a while, because it was gonna be, I was gonna start it like months ago, and it felt like I had already written it. And I just kind of put it aside and I was like, I don't think I want to touch this for a while just because like I don't I feel like I already did it. You know, mm-hmm. maybe that's not necessarily a good feeling. <laughs> Again, maybe that's not something I should be admitting out loud. But now now that I know I'm going to be getting getting ready to write it like almost, you know, eight, nine months later. Now I'm excited for it. I'm like, all right, now I'm ready to do this. Let's go. Let's let's fucking go now and do this. Yeah. And, and you know, that makes sense. Um, And I I don't know if maybe this is kind of it sounds like it a little if this is the way that you had looked at it but sometimes when you do like um and obviously i've never done it because i just admitted i haven't but i've heard (laughs) other authors where they've you know they'll put together a pretty comprehensive outline and like it's almost like depending on how detailed it is it's almost like kind of like a zero draft or something like that where yeah like everything's there and then it's like that's kind of like the first iteration of it and now you just go back and kind of fi- fix things flesh things out yeah just prose it up yeah mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how this novel's gonna be i mean it's like i said like every every chapter in my outline is is you know a page of notes and that's that's what it is like i did like i said i don't go and write dialogue for stuff but I know from beginning to end for every chapter, I know whose POV it's in, what I want them to do, you know, you know, paragraph to paragraph for the most part. And it's just a matter of just plugging it in and going. And and that's 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 my process. That's that's what works for me. I know it doesn't work for everybody. And I know a lot mm-hmm. of people have said that it kind of 
it feels like it kills that spontaneity and stuff. And maybe it does, but I, I don't know. I need the structure for it. I like that structure in my writing. And I, and I, and I think, I think it's actually kind of more of a challenge to make it seem like there wasn't necessarily that, uh, that, that outline behind it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I don't want to keep you too much longer, so I just want to give you a couple quick um, questions that maybe you you can just go with your gut instinct on it. Um, And so your favorite monster, and it doesn't necessarily just have to be a type. It could be, you know, a specific monster from either a book or a movie or anything like that. Oh, I I love vampires. I'm a big vampire fan. I get into arguments all the time with my other writer friends and people <laughs> online. Like I even like um, it seems like vampires are, again, not popular anymore from what I can tell, because I did. A, I did a poll on Twitter just recently about it because I got frustrated because I, I was getting to funny arguments with like Chris Triana or uh, or um, uh, Summer Cannon about like vampires versus werewolves. And everybody seems to be all about werewolves these days. Yeah. And and I'm just like, God damn it, why doesn't anybody like vampires anymore? So I did a poll and it was like I don't know, like sixty forty for vamp or for, for werewolves and I was like, This sucks. Like why <laughs> why don't anybody why doesn't anybody like vampires anymore? Did Twilight kill vampires again? Like this sucks. Like now this just makes me want to write a vampire novel that much more and make them like scary again. I don't know. But yeah, I, I'm a big vampire fan. Movies, books, whatever. Like like From Dust Till Dawn is my favorite movie. Like I love vampires yeah. so much. And there's so many – and even just movies aside, there's so much good vampire fiction out there. I mean Live Girls by Ray Garten, Vampiric from Simon Clark, my favorite book ever, I Am Legend uh, by Richard Matheson. I mean there's just – there's so much good stuff out there. Oh, uh, Descendant by Graham Masterton. Um I yeah, vampires are my absolute favorite, and I'm just dying to write a vampire novel if I can ever get like a good enough idea for one. Yeah, yeah, that's I love vampires too, and um, you know that would be cool to kind of see um your take on that. I, if um, I do it, if I do it, I I have to make them. I don't know. Have you read Vampiric by Simon Clark? No, that's another oh, one of those ones God. that I that I own. And oh. I just haven't gotten to read it yet. It's so good. It's so good. I am a, such a Simon Clark fanboy. I love that guy so much. And my wife interviewed him for her podcast last year, and I actually got to talk to him on Skype finally for about 20 minutes before the show, or before or after the show. And mm. I got to kind of nerd out on him for just a little bit, and it was so cool. But, God, I love Simon Clark's work so fucking much, but – Vampiric is a brilliant novel, and I love the vampires in that book because they are so animalistic and just disgusting, feral creatures, and that's exactly mm-hmm. what I want to do. I don't have a problem with them being more human, uh, more human-like. That's fine, like it, depending on the story type that you want to do. But if I'm going to yeah. write vampires, they are going to be disgusting, feral creatures that can't touch you know can't touch sunlight they don't even wear clothes they're just gross fucking monsters like that's what i want to do so badly yeah i'm gonna have to boost that one up the uh up the list because shane shane has recommended that one to me too he he really loved it and so yeah i'm gonna have to boost that one i i can't i i will sing i will (laughs) sing the praises of simon clark forever like i love that guy's work so much i have all of his stuff and he's a sweetheart too. He's so nice. 
but yeah, I'm I love Simon Clark's work so much. And that's a guy that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough these days, and, and it kind of mm-hmm. makes me sad, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and another one, and hopefully you at least like one of these because I realize that some people don't. Is a, are are you more of a Freddy fan or a Jason? Oh, Freddy! Come on, Freddy, man! <laughs> God, I hate Jason so much. Jason sucks. <laughs> Freddy, man, Freddy! I am I am a Freddy boy. I I am look at like in my office right now on my desk. I have a Freddy change bank. I have a Freddy. Or I have a Nightmare on Elm Street 3D poster from the first movie. I have a Freddy mask on my floor in the corner of my office right now. I have all kinds of Nightmare on Elm Street stuff. I have an Elm Street uh, sign above my window behind me. I Yeah, I'm a massive Nightmare on Elm Street fan. I love that series. Although, I will say this, and I just got into an argument with Christiana about this recently. <laughs> I absolutely detest Part 6, Freddy's Dead. I hate that movie so much. I wish it didn't <laughs> exist. That movie makes me sick. I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. But the rest of the series, I love. I love those movies so much, especially part five for some reason, The Dream Child. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is about that movie. It's the weirdest one. It's the one nobody likes. I love that movie. I think it's great. Yeah, I have to go back and rewatch those. I Because I, I've seen them all, but some of them I haven't seen in yeah. God, forever. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand the fandom behind Friday the 13th. I don't. I hate saying that because I'm going to get so much hate for that. <laughs> they're, they're fine. They're fine movies, but, like, I don't get it. Like, they're they're fine. Like, they're just mindless slasher movies, but, like, Jason's mm-hmm. such a boring character. But I will say this. I, I do really love Jason Takes Manhattan, and I know that mm-hmm. every Friday the 13th fan hates that fucking movie. They hate it. That movie is so much fun. It has the best kills of the series. It has it, and they're like, "Oh, it doesn't take place in Manhattan, but in the last ten minutes, who gives a shit?" Like that movie, <laughs> yeah. like he bashes a girl's head in with a guitar. He punches a guy's head straight off of his yeah. shoulders. <laughs> yeah, he picks a guy up and dun- he dunks an old guy into a vat of toxic waste. He fucking punches a a a, a, a rock like a uh, a hot rock like from a sauna into a guy's chest. The, the, like that movie has the best deaths of the series in them, and that movie is like the most universally hated of that whole series. And I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I like I like both of them, but like there's certain Friday the Thirteenth movies that like I would say I lean a little bit more that way, and it's it's for the reason you mentioned, like that, like that scene where he punches that guy's head clean it's off his shoulder, and it rolls yeah. down, the, it rolls across the building, yeah. it falls down the wall, hits a dumpster, and then the dumpster door closes. It's fucking great. I love it. it yeah, there was that oh. one, and then um I someone had told me because like I said, it's been years since I've seen him, but I, I remember it distinctly. Like there's one where like, you know, he comes up and I think it's a van and you know, obviously it's teenagers having sex in the van yeah. and you know, chaos ensues. And he has like this little like toy trumpet thing. And then he uses that. And like when he, when he does it, it just, he like stabs them with the trumpet. It like, I don't, makes I don't really... remember that scene. That's funny. Though. Yeah. He, um, I, 
I'll have to look it up for you after. Yeah. But yeah, he when he uses that, like it actually lets out like this little trumpet noise. I remember and, like, there was there was one of the movies where he killed some people with like a weed eater, like a weed whacker <laughs> yeah. or something. I don't remember. I remember yeah. him stepping out behind a tree, like a tree in the forest, and he had a fucking weed whacker. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> cool, I guess. So dumb. <laughs> Now I want to go back and watch all these. Yeah, they're so stupid. They're so so stupid. Oh, but yeah, but that and then but, uh, but all let's, of let's at least yeah, but let's at least just admit that they're all both both of them are at least better than the fucking Halloween movies. Oh, oh God, here we, oh I think I just killed all my fans now. They're all my readers. Yeah. I think they're all gonna hate me. I am not a fan of that series at all. The first two the first two movies are great. I like the first two movies, but that series mm. after that became a convoluted mess. See, I don't think you'll get too, too much hate then since yeah. you, cause like people love the first two and then anything after that yeah. reactions vary. So I think you'll be at least safe on that front. That series, that series is a hot mess. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen a series that's been retconned like three times now. <laughs> I mean, okay, wait a minute. Halloween H2O was supposed to be the sequel to the first Halloween. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's the one from 2018 that's now the new sequel to the to the original. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, figure it out. Like, fucking figure it out. Seriously. Uh, my, my favorite franchise to hate on, and I hope I hope this isn't one that you uh, like – is I, I cannot stand Child's Play. I can't either. I like and, the first, yeah, the first no. movie's cool. The first movie's fine. The yeah. second movie I do not care for, except for the last 10 minutes when they're in the toy factory. That mm. scene was awesome because he's, he has to like his arm gets fucking pinched off and he puts that blade in his arm. That was cool. I like the last 10 minutes of the second one, but the ones after that, I could, I'm fine. It's a, it's a yeah. stupid series too. Yeah. And like, granted my, my knowledge of the child's play franchise isn't that great, but like Shane and I will always talk about it. And like the thing I guess that pisses me off the most is like, yes, I understand that it's like the soul of a like killer inside yeah. the dog whatever he's still a doll if you see him coming you just drop kick him 20 feet away and exactly. just get out of there he's got little legs how fast is he gonna <laughs> run? see i'm just I, I think the older <laughs> i get the less i like these franchise movies mm-hmm. i just i'm not into them like i said i love the nightmare on elm street series i like a couple of movies from both of the friday 13th and halloween series and like the first child's play but like series movies i just the older i get the less i like them i just they don't do anything for me and and even like when i go to like conventions which i do a lot of conventions i i do not wear shirts from any of those movies there i will actually wear my fulci shirts like i'll wear a shirt for the beyond or house by the cemetery or city living dead or zombie or something just to see if anybody else like will engage with me and talk about them or if i see anybody else wearing them and i swear i don't see any nobody will talk about them I can't get any I can't get any interaction with them because everybody there comes and wears like Friday the 13th or Halloween T-shirts. And I'm like, shit, like, does nobody like Italian horror these days anymore? Like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, um, like I said, I don't want to keep you too long, Wes. I've had a great time hanging out with you. And, um, yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back on. Um, I'm sure Shane would love to 
uh, chat with you. Yeah. Um, I so mean, yeah. as long as long as I don't get canceled for not liking the Halloween series, I think I should turn <laughs> around. No, you should you should be good because you you didn't say anything bad about the first one at least. Like that I, one, I think the sacred I, one. For most. I I may I, look the, the first one's great. It, it is what it is. I like the second one a lot. I think the second one is is a pretty cool movie. It's it's a lot. I don't know. It's a little bit more 80s, I guess. I guess it's a little mm. bit more of an 80s slasher movie, but it's still a pretty cool movie. But like, I, yeah, just that. I don't know. I could go on a tangent about that series. Again. <laughs> All right, you know how I feel about it. It's not great. Like, just give, give me more. Give me more Super Freddy when you know Superman Freddy from from Part Five or something. I, that shit's funny to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give me more Freddy eating a pizza with people's souls on the pizza. You know. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I love Freddy. Freddy's the best. Yeah, I I like I said I enjoyed both, so I didn't really have a you know the preference one way or the other on those. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, is there uh is there anything you would like people to know um anything you've got work that you're working on? I know you've mentioned a, a bunch of your projects um that are coming out, but just anything you want um you know, readers to look out for and um, maybe where they can find you. Uh, yeah. Like uh, social media, I should yeah, specify. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, the, the hardcover for Mark Steensland and I's Mark Steensland and I's book um, where the devil waits is for pre-order right now from thunderstorm. Uh, like I said, I think there's only a handful of copies left. Last I heard there was like less than a dozen, but that was like, a week and a half ago, so it could be less by now. I, I don't know what it is at. Um, the paperback and ebook of, of that coming out from Cemetery Gates Publishing uh, will be May 22nd. Um, after that, uh, like I said, there's going to be a hardcover of Slaves to Gravity from Thunderstorm. I think June is what I was told. Um, that's all I have under contract right now. Like Lucas and I's book isn't isn't. Does, isn't with a publisher yet, but I'm hoping we'll have something soon. Um, and then after that, uh, that's all I got right now for stuff written. Um, I'm, you know, I'm going to be spending the rest of the year at least at least one or two shows a month for the rest of the year on the road at conventions. So like next month, I'm going to be at Days of the Dead in Vegas, and I'm going to be at Monster Mania here in Pennsylvania. Uh, like July, I'm going to be at Crypticon, Kansas City. Um, then in Scares the Care, Williamsburg, uh, I'm going to be a Creature Feature Weekend in August in Gettysburg. Um, let's see, Crypticon, Minnesota in September, and then a show in Harrisburg the weekend after that. And then I'm going to be in Lexington in October for Scarefest. And then I'm going to be at Monsters of Horror in Tulsa, Oklahoma in October. So, yeah, I'm staying busy. I love to travel and I love doing these cons and I love seeing my friends and I love meeting new readers and selling books. And, yep, that's uh, that's the rest of my year. I'm a busy boy. And if you want to <laughs> and if you want to if you want to find me online, I'm on on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Easy to find just Wesley Southerd or West Southerd. Uh, Wesley Southerd is the website. Uh, I'm on the slasher app as well, but I, I kind of, I, I, I had it and I still have it and I was on it for about a week or a week or two and I got kind of bored with it, honestly, and I don't really know what to do with it, but I'm on there too. So if you want to friend me and not see me post anything, uh, <laughs> I can go on there too, I guess. 
I'm more active on all the other three than than Slasher. I got kind of bored with Slasher very quickly, but it's it's still there. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty accessible and pretty easy to find. Yeah, I, I've heard that about um about the Slasher app. I think people are starting to kind of go the other way on that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I signed up for it, and then within like a week, I had like. 400 friend requests and then almost immediately after i would say yes i would get a dm from that person saying hey check out my podcast hey check out this hey check out that hey check out this and i was like oh that's what this is ugh mm-hmm. i was like ugh it's, <laughs> it's a bunch of professionals like pitching to each other i was just like oh man this is not this is not fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know if you're on facebook but every time i'm on facebook and i don't answer um friend requests for like a couple of weeks and then i go through mm-hmm. and i see i got like 20 or 30 of them and i'm like okay what's the percentage of people that after i hit friend on there or i accept their friend request what's the percentage that's gonna end up sending me a dm immediately like asking for something or or yeah. trying to promote something or like, well, hey, like my page, like this page, like that page. And I'm just like, fuck, every time that happens, I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> it happens all the time. And it usually happens within the first five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, ironically, it hasn't happened as much um, to me lately, but I do remember for a while there, like even like when I started before Shane and I teamed up for uh, Ink Heist, I had a site called the Horror Bookshelf, and it was probably about 50-50, like, you know, and I don't begrudge anybody who like eventually is like, hey, you know, check out my book or whatever. Yeah. They do it a certain way, but like early on, like you said, it was like almost immediately it would be like a follow situation and I would follow them back and they'd be like, yeah, and just blast me with all these links. And then I'd, I'd find out that they like unfollowed me after they like blasted <laughs> me with all the stuff. Nice. Yeah. But, uh, um, social media. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was great hanging out with you, Wes. Uh, yeah, thanks, well, man. Definitely- it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you had fun, and we'll definitely have to have you back uh, sometime. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the next time you have something new coming out. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 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 open to it anytime you guys need me. Awesome. So uh, yeah, with that, um, have a great night, Wes, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yep. Talk to you soon, man. Bye. Bye. Is somebody gonna hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs> Stop, baby!